So Money episode 924, Jonathan Mendoza and Brad Barrett, co-hosts of the Choose FI podcast. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. What we're describing is this equation, right? The equation of life. What you earn minus what you spend is equal to the gap. And the cool thing about an equation is you can manipulate all sides of that. You can focus on earning more. You can focus on spending less and you can focus on doing a better job investing the difference. What is the equation for financial independence? Welcome to So Money, everybody. Back from vacation, reruns are over. We got fresh episodes all lined up for the rest of the year, and we're kicking it off with the co-hosts of the very popular Choose FI podcast, FI standing for financial independence, Jonathan Mendoza and Brad Barrett. Both of these friends come to the personal finance space with their own unique experiences. Brad and his partner saved a million dollars in just 11 years, while Jonathan was able to pay down $168,000 in student loans. In 2017, Jonathan and Brad saw the need to bring even more community connection to the FIRE movement, you know, financial independence, retire early movement. And after meeting up a few times together, they decided to create that community with their podcast called Choose FI. And today, Choose FI is helping to spread the FIRE movement. Their crowdsourced podcast has over 2,600 reviews and their Facebook group has over 48,000 members. Their message is spreading and their podcast is a big force in this movement. We talk about their histories with money, how they educate their audiences around financial independence, and is there an equation for financial independence? There actually is one. I was curious to find out. Here's Jonathan Mendoza and Brad Barrett. Jonathan Mendoza and Brad Barrett, choose five guys. Welcome to So Money. Hi, Farnoosh. Jonathan Mendoza, super excited to be on the show. Huge fan. Hey, Farnoosh. I'm Brad. It's really great to be here. Hold up one second. Did I pronounce your last name wrong, Jonathan? It's okay. Everybody pronounces it wrong. You it's okay. Is there, an N? <laughs> Are there two N's in Mendoza? It's Mendoza? <laughs> yeah, it's Mendonza. Oh, with an N. My, my, my copywriter didn't put the, the extra story. N in the last <laughs> name. So Quite literally, he's heard that maybe 10,000 times, so don't, don't feel oh, bad. Man. You know, it's actually funny. <laughs> Mendoza. Oh, yeah. This was like totally misspelled in my notes. All right. My bad. I'm going to do that again so that I sound more informed than I am. <laughs> and was that, I mean, is that okay on the, Hey, I'm Brad. I mean, or should we do it when we get into our first answer? Uh, maybe think? when you get in your first answer. Yeah. It sounded a little, a, sounded a little odd. So yeah, we, we all a, get a mulligan here. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Thanks. Okay. So that was just, uh, that was for pretend. Okay. So three <laughs> train wreck version one. <laughs> okay. Three, two, one, Jonathan Mendonza and Brad Barrett. Welcome to so money. My choose five friends. Hi, Farnoosh. Thanks so much for having us. We're super excited to be here. You know, I'm so excited to dive into all the financial things with you two as the creators of the Choose Five podcast and now really this empire, which includes a blog and really active Facebook group. And um, you guys are everywhere. You're at FinCon. Um, I'm looking forward to talking about your personal journeys to this 
place called financial independence. What does that mean to you? But first, let's start with uh, your friendship. How did you two, you know, connect first over money? Or maybe there was yeah. something else first, and then you kind of decided, hey, we're actually, we got a lot to talk about when it comes to finance. Yeah, I, I love that question. I love origin stories just in general. But uh, my name is Jonathan Mendonza, and I do this uh, with my co-host. Go ahead and introduce yourself, hey, Brad. Um, <laughs> Brad Barrett. Farnish, thanks for having us. This is exciting. And uh, I have been always interested in doing better with my money. Coming from a lower um, middle income family, so I was the oldest of five kids, we had enough, but we didn't have much more than that. And the extent of my, the money rules, the money knowledge that I came away with was just don't have massive credit card debt or don't have any credit card debt. Don't do that. But that knowledge didn't really come down with student loans as well. And I, I kind of followed this maybe stereotypical path. If you want to do well in this world, if I want to do better, I need to go get student loans at all costs to get a degree that'll guarantee me a safe, you know, safe job in a good industry that pays above the median. And so I went to pharmacy pharmacy school, became a pharmacist, graduated with $168,000 of student loan debt, but I always knew that like having debt that outlived me was not going to be my future and paying off that debt was my immediate goal. That's kind of where I started. I know if I want to do better than that, if I want to get to any other point, which at that point I wasn't calling financial independence, I first have to get back to broke. It's by necessity. And I started listening to people that could give me that sort of information on how do I pay it down, stumbled onto Dave Ramsey, stumbled into the personal finance community, and then started to hear about this concept called financial independence. I actually heard uh, Brad my co-host now at Choose If I talking about uh, this concept of financial independence and specifically talking about travel rewards and how to use travel rewards to travel the world for nearly free. And most importantly, found out that he lived in my local geographic region here in Richmond, Virginia, and realized that the people that were pursuing this amazing concept called financial independence weren't just theoretical people on the internet, but were real people in every zip code around the country. And when I found out he was close to me, I just contacted him. And I'm still not totally sure, Brad, <laughs> why you took that, uh, why you took that call and why we got lunch, but we did. Yeah, this is the open question here for news. Jonathan always jokes about. It. So, yeah, I mean, basically, I got a cold email from just some random guy off the street saying, "Hey, let's grab lunch." And I heard you on the Mad Scientist podcast. You're into Fi, you're in Richmond, and you're into travel rewards. So we went out to lunch, and Jonathan, as you can tell, is excitable, and he just he just was really an interesting guy, and he had this idea for a website. It had nothing to do with me, and I think just like maybe everything in life, like act, taking action is the crucial piece. Mm -hmm. And so many people have ideas, but how few take action. And I actually followed up with him a couple of months later and said. Hey man, did you ever start that website? And he said that one line text like changed his entire life. And hmm. he came up with this idea. He shot me a message. Hey, I wanted to talk to you about something. And he pitched me on this idea for a podcast. And like he jokes, I don't know why you said yes. You had, you know, you're at financial independence. You had some successful websites, but it just sounded incredible to me. And, and what's the downside? I think that's the cool thing about creating websites, creating podcasts. It's a little bit of money and some of your time. And, and it just seemed like a great adventure. Now, the two of you are the models for your, you know, your whole mission here, which is, you know, achieving financial independence, which soon I want to ask, you know, what is that to each of you? What is that? How do you define that? How are your listeners defining that? I assume this is a very individual um, definition, but, you know, for you, Jonathan, you talked earlier about coming out of $168,000 in student loans. That's out of the picture. 
Yeah. So the student loans were paid off in paid off. three to four years. And then I was kind of taking that, that next step. And actually, uh, that is part of the story. So my idea that I actually told Brad is realizing that he had reached financial independence and that this is something that I wanted. I felt like so many people in the space were talking about how they had done it. And as that unique selling proposition, wouldn't it be cool if we could have almost an experiment in financial independence where you have someone that's dramatically farther on the path mentoring someone that's on the path and working through that various story. Now, the the podcast has become much more than that, but one of the earliest versions of what we thought this show would be would be what does it look like to take the road less traveled? So, you know, the idea of financial independence, getting to the point where working is optional should not be a hard sell. That's pretty much a universal principle that if you have more flexibility, more options, your life is better. Um, also, reaching financial independence is also equally awesome. But what is interesting is that that, that time in the middle, if this is not get rich quick, right? Get rich quick usually ends up with your money in someone else's pocket mm-hmm. and you feeling a little bit bitter about it, but you can get rich quick ish over an intermediate time period, basically every single time. And the, pers- what we found out over the last two years is really the pursuit of financial independence. That that's the story. I mean, if you, as soon as you create some space between yourself and the financial cliff, as soon as you have some savings rate, as soon as you've reclaimed some level of bandwidth in your life, you get to start making in, increasingly more options that may not be like in your employer's best interest, but they are in yours. And we have, you know, concrete examples of this. Well, speaking of examples, let's, let's stick with your personal experience for a moment here. Like Brad, you and your wife, I understand, thanks to being thrifty and other steps, I'm sure, managed to save a million dollars in 10 plus years, 11 years all in all. And you were 40, before 40, actually, you hit this uh, milestone. So walk us through some of the steps that you and your wife took. I know I understand you're both, you came to this goal with backgrounds in accounting. So you weren't afraid of numbers, which sometimes that's kind of the big hump for people is like just feeling confident around their ability to, you know, manage the money and be um, accountable and all the things. But sounds like you had a bit of a head start there. Yeah. I mean, we certainly were not afraid of numbers, but, but I still never got that amazing financial education. So I think I think learning has been an amazing part of this journey for me and just learning all these things that I didn't even know were out there. So, I mean, I'm reading, reading blogs and listening to podcasts and reading books and just trying to learn. So, but that said, kind of going back to the the beginning. Yeah. I mean, my wife and I, we both lived actually on Long Island, New York. We grew up there and obviously that's a high cost of living area as, as you certainly know. And we just realized that even though we could be quote unquote successful there, right? I mean, we had the potential to make some decent incomes though, certainly right out of college, it was, it was nothing special. We were in, I think the mid forties each, but we didn't want to sacrifice. And honestly, I don't, that was predating the, the five movement. So I didn't have any mentors or anyone to look up to, but we just had this sense that there had to be something more. There had to be something more than working 40, 60, 80 hours a week during tax busy season. And and for what? Right. The carrot of being a partner in a public accounting firm. Well, those men and women were working 60, 80 hours a week right alongside us. So that just never lit us up. And I think we tried to look for something different. And for us, moving down to Richmond, VA was was kind of the obvious choice. And and that said, to pursue FI, you don't need to make radical choices. 
you don't have to sell your car and sell your house and move it, but you have to make some choices, right? That's kind of the cool thing as we look at it. This is a choose your own adventure. So there are hundreds of different things you have to do and you can pick whatever you value. And that is all up to you. But clearly you have to get up off the couch and you have to take action. So for us, it was moving. It was creating a framework of a life that just simply didn't cost that much. We drive old cars. We eat in most, most nights, not because we don't value food. Quite the contrary. My, my wife loves to cook. She's a gourmet cook. It's one of her biggest hobbies, but she's created a framework where she can do this time and money efficiently and it's healthier, right? To eat in. So we created this framework of a life that just simply didn't cost that much. And my wife stayed at home with our girls for the last 10 years. So it's not like we we're rolling in money to get to that, that million dollars net worth. It was, we were just very diligent about saving and investing in low cost index funds and, and just putting this money away and, and watching it compound. So, I mean, that really is my story. It's, it's eminently replicable. That's the thing. Can I just jump in for a second? Because I think also what I'm learning from your story is that yes, making achieving financial independence does come down to choices. I think that even there you can get even more granular and say, look, you have either, you can make a few big choices, which could make big shifts in your in your capacity to save, which is one, you can move, which not everybody wants to do that. I know you said you don't have to sell your car and move, but if you do sell your car and move, <laughs> that could be a huge help and it can be a huge catalyst versus the alternative, which is maybe doing 20 little things, which is, you know, cutting yeah. your expenses and trying to hack this and hack that and, you know, maybe find a new job. So I kind of like the, for me, I think it's, it's a little simpler, although perhaps a little bit more difficult in the beginning to think about what are some of the big shifts you can make. Because frankly, how much you spend on housing, how much you pay in taxes, and the cost of living of where you live is um, paramount to ultimately how you can or cannot craft your budget. This yeah, is not talking, incredibly... this is, we're not even talking about <laughs> debt and how much you make either. So. I, I yeah, like I like it, the choices that you made. It's a it's a very astute observation, and and I wanted to I love using Brad's story as as an illustration for this to highlight that that this is not deprivation, right? Um, it's it's really creating a framework for your life that encourages you to spend lavishly on the things that you value, and anything that you don't value cut ruthlessly, right? I mean, if you can blend those two together, you're going to end up in a pretty good place. And if you, and I think what you said that I just want to highlight a little bit further is, and looking at the example of kind of Brad's path to financial independence, this wasn't about the lattes, but what it was is when you look at your life in terms of, and look at those financial expenses, think about it like a pie chart. There's three things that make up probably nearing 50% of most people on a middle-class incomes budget. And that is housing, transportation, and food. And you can, you know, we can negotiate exactly what percentage that is. But for all of us, we have to think about that in some capacity. And when he made that move from Long Island to Richmond, that when you look at that over the, the, the amount of money that that represented that he was able to save by making that decision over an investing lifetime, it was probably close to a million dollars. When you look at his choice to drive, an old paid off vehicle for an extended period of time, as opposed to just managing the payments over the investing lifetime that we've done the math on that, that decision was worth close to a million dollars. And when you look at their choice with food, what he didn't tell you is the numbers, just, just, just from an anchoring perspective, I think this is really valuable. So him and his wife and their family, they 
anchor themselves to $2 per person per meal. So if you were to play that out, you have um, three meals a day, uh, you have 30 meals in a month. I mean, you can kind of run it out. It's basically $180 per person. If they were to spend twice that, it's $360 per person. I know many people that a line item, the food line item in their budget is the black hole that ends up being $2,000 <laughs> a month. Yeah. Now, I, this is not telling everybody they need to nail $2 per person per meal. But if they anchor themselves to that concept, the next time that they're spending 30 or $40 a serving for the second or third time a week, and then they're wondering simultaneously, why am I not hitting my goals? They anchored themselves to this metric early on and they were able to stack those wins together, not just for a week, but for years and years. When you put all of those together over an investing lifetime, it's it's the combination of those is quite literally millions. It is that simple. And as you said, you can either make some quote unquote hard choices and end up with a very easy life, or you can't even or you don't even you don't make any choices in your paycheck to paycheck years and years from now. So um, that's that's kind of when I look at him, when you put all of that together, you see why he is in such a dramatically different place. Decades decades and decades ahead of his peers. And so important when you're doing these calculations, as you've illustrated, to extrapolate. So people often just stop at what is the savings this month or this year, or they think, well, I can afford it now. But they're not thinking about, well, you know, over the course of 10 years, this habit it accumulates. And what is that expense at the end of the road? What else could you have afforded with that? Would you? Ra- it really puts things in perspective. So in our lives right now, we have our son going to private school and he loves his private school. We love the school. It's working out, but it's a big ticket item. And you know, it's a long road till high school. So uh, we... And if, although we can afford it now, we're like, okay, really the bigger question we have to answer is, this tuition times, you know, the next 12 years, right. what is that money in the in the stock market? Like if we actually took that money and put it in the market, what would that be? It's a lot of money. And, you know, it's to the point where that amount of money, we have to think twice. We're thinking, okay, we, we should, we'd probably be better off navigating the public school system as arduous as that is in New York City, or maybe moving, which, you know, is also a big, you know, thing we have to come to terms with. But we're not sacrificing his education. We're just, we just have to retool our lifestyle a little bit so that we can use that money to a higher, I think a better long-term purpose. Because I'm learning now that so many people are retiring without enough money and guess what? Their children have to take care of them. So I'm saying to my kid, I'm doing you a service. Uh. (laughs) I am going to be financially secure when you become 21. So you don't have to take care of me. And you know, that's always been the goal, but now this is even more likely that to happen because we're making making the decision now to retool the cost of education. And and so, yeah, having that big number in front of you really can sometimes make it what was a hard decision very easy. Yeah. And I think you're looking at this the right way, thinking about in terms of what is it in this life that you value. And it's not, you don't have to necessarily cut everything, but you should be thinking about the cost now. And what does that mean for your 10 year future self as well? And make sure that you are getting enough value to justify that. And to to anchor this, when we actually use the, the term financially independent, there is a mathematical equation tied behind that. And basically it's saying you take your annual expenses and you multiply that times 25 and whatever that number is, when you have that amount in your investment vehicles, you have reached financial independence. Now notice that there's very little emphasis on the fact that you're leaving your job. This is just a, a, 
somewhat arbitrary metric that for us indicates that you've gotten to the point where working is optional and it's leaning heavily on some work that's done in the Trinity study, which is far beyond the scope of this conversation. But the reason I brought that up is to say that you control what you can control. And at the end of the day, if you know the math, you can control your expenses and you can control your savings rate. And many people say, well, well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, it couldn't possibly have that much benefit. But if we have this number in mind, every hundred dollars a month, that you can cut from your recurring monthly expenses is $30,000 less that you, that you need in that pot of money to reach financial independence. So these small little small changes, they do, they do make a big difference. And if you're thinking like, if you're trapped in a lifestyle that doesn't serve you and that you find toxic, and you're not willing to at the same time question where your recurring monthly expenses are, I think that's tragic, especially if you have all this stuff and you have no time to use it because you're at a work, you're at a job or a situation that really no longer lights you up. Well, speaking of little expenses like the latte, and you probably have noticed there's a bit of a war right now in the personal finance world where they're on the one side, you've got sort of these policy enthusiasts and like, you know, left wingers who are like, and I'm not trying to make this political, but that seems to be where a lot of the tweets are coming from, where it's like, ugh, these personal finance experts telling me one more time, if they tell me one more time to cut out these expenses, you know, they're missing the point. There are systemic issues that are happening. Why is the cost of healthcare so high? Why is student, why are people allowed to, first of all, take out six figures in student loans when there is no promise of a job? Um, you know, and so there is this, sort of school of thought that, you know, educating people about personal finance in the way that we have been, which is like, you got to cut your expenses and track your budget. If only you would spend less on food, that that is um, not the sufficient advice. And I'm, and I'm curious to hear where you guys stand on this. Obviously, I think we're, I'm guessing we're probably, the three of us will probably agree that we're not saying that we are trying that we have all the solutions or that you know the things that work for us will work for everybody but i do think that there is value in empowering people with education with knowledge because and i'm sure you've received a lot of emails and you know feedback from people in your community that are like my life has changed because i learned something from listening to your podcast i've been motivated i you know and i think that um i think we're in the business of arming people with suggestions, strategies, but most importantly, education and empowerment. We cannot, you know, control people's lives. And we're not saying that there aren't systemic problems, but I think there's a lot of value still in what the personal finance community has to say. And if, if someone's talking about lattes, take it for, you know, a grain of salt. Like it's not to say actually give up your latte. It's a euphemism, right? I'm a huge fan of euphemisms. Yeah. I mean, one person's latte is another person's, you know. Avocado toast. Avocado toast, <laughs> Uber expenses. You know, the point is, is like, I think that we like to feel in control, right? I think we all like to feel in control of our lives. And when you, when we look at what's happening in the broader world, we can feel out of control and therefore hopeless, resource lacking resources. But when you say to people, look, you got all these expenses. This is what you earn. This is your debt. Here's how you can make some tweaks. Here's how you can make some big shifts. What are we saying? We're saying you can get in the driver's seat and it may not solve all the problems, but it's going to get you far along, further along than you are today. And I think that knowing that you can drive that ship to some extent yourself is very empowering and, and results happen. Yeah, they definitely do. I, I think 
Jonathan said this phrase before, control what you can control. That's that's something we've hit on and we've found that it resonates with our audience, with the Phi community generally, because I, I think so many of us, we hear these numbers thrown around, right? Oh, you need 5 million, 10 million, $15 million to retire. And I don't know about you, but when I hear that, my mind just shuts down, right? I yeah. stick my head in the sand. It seems impossible, even on a, a decent salary. Like I'm not going to get to 10 million. It's, it's highly unlikely. But if you flip that script and say, all right, it's based on your expenses. All right. And again, this is a non-judgmental thing. We don't have any dogma in the choose of I community at all. If you want to spend a couple hundred grand a year, that's absolutely fine. But go in with eyes wide open that your FI number is just 25 times that annual number. Okay. So it's just, again, you can do whatever you want, but you have to understand the math. And, and to your point, Farnoosh, having just this education, it always helps. Like I said before, even though I was a CPA, I didn't know anything about investing. I knew really essentially nothing about personal finance because I didn't learn it from my parents. I didn't learn it in school. And I just had to kind of figure it out on my own. And luckily I came across good information sources pretty early on and, and had some people who were, were educating me on it. But that was just luck at that, at that point, you know, in the early 2000s. But now this information, people can listen to your podcast, our podcast, read books. It's there. And I think that's beautiful. We can argue about the avocado toast of the world. That stuff, you know, it, it is what it is. And, and people like to line up on either side. It makes great headlines. Oh, it does. It absolutely sells papers. does. Right. But, but it's not about that. It's about just being intentional about your life and spending money lavishly on what you value. And for me, it's just ruthlessly cutting what I don't. So, I mean, it's, it's a really simple equation from my perspective. This question comes from one of our sponsors, Chase, and we're asking our guests this month to share one thing, an aspect of your financial planning, and each of you can take this question, that equates to financial security. So, um, you know, you talked earlier about how the financial independence story is really about the journey to help how you got there. And then once you get there, you know, it, maybe it's just sort of like keeping status quo. But even now that you've arrived, what is something that you do that continues to equate to financial security? I mean, I continue to save money every single month. And even though I've reached financial independence, it hasn't changed me at my core. And I think saving money for me, having that space, having that bandwidth it is just crucial for me. So, I mean, though it might be quote unquote suboptimal to have a large emergency fund, that's just something that makes me sleep better at night. And I know my wife and I are very comfortable with having probably a larger emergency fund than we absolutely need. But again, it, it's, it's a very personal finance is very personal, right? And for us, that it just is that level of security that that is just really important. So, yeah, I mean, for me, it's a combination of continuing to save, even though theoretically I don't have to and having that emergency fund that I can access if I need it. Uh, and I, I, I think for me, there's two things that I really enjoy. One is not having any consumer debt. The only debt that I would have would just be my mortgage, which increasingly is becoming a choice or close to a choice. And the other option is, the other thing is really keeping a very tight control in my recurring, my structural and recurring monthly expenses. Um, and this kind of goes to, do you have a plan for your money or do you just wonder where it goes? 
And for me, basically being able to map out and minimize how many automatic recurring monthly payments I'm making, being able to look at it each month or every quarter or whatever and say, I know what my default life cost for me adds a lot of reassurance and security to my life because I got this. Hmm. Going back down memory lane a little bit, I'd love to ask you now both about your childhood experiences with money. I'm kind of getting the sense that at least for, you know, maybe uh, for one of you or maybe both of you that money wasn't this thing that was super talked about growing up. But what's a memory from childhood that now even as an adult has stayed with you all these years and it was something to do with money, either learning about it, the good, the bad, the ugly, a habit, an experience. Walk us through that that scene. Yeah. So I've got one. I, it wasn't, I guess it depends on your definition of childhood, but I, I had a summer internship. And like I said before, I never had any type of financial education from my parents. It, it just wasn't, it wasn't really talked about in our house. And, and I think that's something looking back that I, that I wish obviously was different. And I've, I've changed with my own daughters, but I had this internship. My aunt was a I guess she worked as an admin at, at the time it was Solomon Smith Barney and I got this job and it was basically just data entry. It wasn't anything glamorous, but there was this one day where one of the brokers or traders, whatever you want to call it, sat me down in front of a compound interest calculator. And I kid you not furnish that five minutes was like a lightning bolt in my life. I mean that if I had to list the 10 most important moments of my life, that would certainly be in the top 10 because I don't know why, maybe it was some like math brain that I had or something, but I sat down in front of that calculator and just played around with it. And at the time, I think you could only put in maybe two or $3,000 into a Roth IRA, but I played with it just for fun, right? And if I get a 9% return until I'm 99, it's like a billion dollars or something, you know, it's like hundreds My of millions. to of, a billionaire. Right, right, right. <laughs> but, but it was just so cool to see that there's no secret here, right? There's no like, I don't know, secret behind the curtain or, or some such like to become wealthy. It's just, it's time and it's diligence about putting your money in month after month, year after year. And, and that one lesson has stuck with me quite literally for the last 20 years. Um, and I don't have as stark of a moment like, like Brad does that I can recall for you, but I do remember in my early teens that I was handed a co uh, copy of the total money makeover by Dave Ramsey. And that was probably my introduction to creating a strategy for personal finance. Um, there were actually people that were taking time to come up with a game plan for their lives. And even though I was about to go take on all the student loan debt, so I clearly didn't follow all the tenants. <laughs> um, I at least was rooted to the fact that long-term, debt was not going to be staying with me forever. So uh, I think that is probably what I would have to share. I was just uh, doing an interview and talking about a woman who had $250,000 in student loans. Did you think there was someone out there that could top your 168 in student loans, Jonathan? This woman had 250000 <laughs> and now she was making 85000 a year. And to, the, the hope was that she was going to, I mean, she got her, I think it was like a doctorate degree in um, physical therapy. And, and now she's making 85000 a year working for, uh, I think, a government-run program. So my 
my advice was get a new job, you know, <laughs> um, because she had a rent controlled apartment. There weren't really a lot of like avocado toast to cut out of her budget. And for, for me, it was like, you have an income problem. You have all this debt. And, you know, she's somebody who wanted to ultimately have a family and, you know, build a, build a life. And I, I feel like sometimes the, the issue is your income. Right. Like we can talk about spending less than you earn and saving a certain amount. And, but my goodness, sometimes it's just about getting that side hustle, asking for the raise or quitting your job and finding a bigger paying one. Yeah. You know how uh, Brad was mentioning earlier how people seem to line up on either side of this one. I think it's the same thing. I mean, what we're describing is this equation, right? The equation of life, what you earn minus what you spend is equal to the gap. And the cool thing about an equation is you can manipulate all sides of that. You can focus on earning more. You can focus on spending less and you can focus on doing a better job investing the difference. My personal bias has always been, especially for someone that is in a state of drift and hasn't had a plan for their money, is to start with the spend less. Just because it is something that you can execute on like now, today. Right. By the tomorrow, you can make a small change. And you need that. You need to understand where your money is going. It always starts with tracking your money and optimizing that. But a long-term play for this individual, like they can cut out all the toast they want. It, you know, that that's not going to make up the difference. That that's clear. And it's cool that when you look at your life right now, you're looking at a, 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 a moment in time, but life is actually a moving picture and you can make choices now to radically transform where you are. And certainly there are people that are earning more. So in, for that individual, the problem is all of us are on different paths and we have different obstacles that we have to overcome. My personal story probably wouldn't resonate as much with that individual, but there is someone else who is, has even more debt than she does. And I can think of an example right now and has figured out a strategy. So just a couple things just in mind, and it's just to use it as an example for this individual. One, there are forgiveness programs. I'm generally not a, just a huge fan of them, you know, carte blanche because that there is so many gaps. But for that situation where you are making 85,000, you owe 500,000 and they're already working for a government facility, there are places in the country mm -hmm. that you could go work. And that's the only way in my mind, those numbers make sense. You may make more, you may make less, but there may be some level of forgiveness at the end where you could get all of that um, waived. And man, I would look into that in that particular yeah, so situation. Just to, uh, for more background, she is on a, uh, on the uh, sort of like the track, she's on the government plan. I think it's called, um, oh gosh, after 120 qualified payments, if she still has any debt left over, the government it's basically IBR. takes it over. Yeah. Um, the problem with that is that you got to wait, you got to be in that job or a job like that for 120 payments. Yeah. And um, you got to think about sort of, you know, what is that trade off, right? So uh, there's this, you know, light at the end of the tunnel, but I have to kind of stay in this government role versus maybe going into the private sector, becoming self-employed where I have, you know, much higher income capacity, income potential. And no, I'm not going to be, maybe I won't be able to get rid of this debt uh, after 10 years or whatever it is after 120 payments. But maybe you could still, you, you have more control over it. And also you're starting to make more money, which allows you to afford other things in your life. So it's kind of, I mean, it's a, it's not something you can kind of decide on right away, but I think it's got, it's worth doing a lot of um, pros and con tables. 
Yeah, a lot of pros and cons table. And but there are, you know, if you were using this specific example, there are also individuals I know that become basically travel physical therapists that are making nearly double what what you just described with this person and have no living cost on top of that. So you could also tackle Mm. both ends of it by creating a situation for yourself where you have no living cost and you're making more due to the nature of the work that you're picking up. So like you said, but like you would not know that unless you found other people that had done that and been able to. So that's a beautiful part about podcasts and this form of media. You can find someone that has had a similar situation and figured out a different way of doing it and expand. And this is this is what it comes down to expand your zone of awareness. And Brad, I'd love to bring you in on this just from a side hustle, earn more perspective on our show, just because of the nature of the platform. We have had many other people highlight complete and massive pivots that have allowed them to really lean into the other side of that equation. Yeah, I mean, I have been blown away by people. I realized like, frankly, how lazy I was in my own job. I mean, there are people who come on our, our show and from the time they're 22, 23 years old, instead of taking 15 minute water breaks to talk about game of Thrones, they're, they're learning. They're actually trying to better their skills and move up and get new jobs. And it's, it's really, it it has blown us away. And I mean, if I could just talk about Jonathan here for a second, Two and a half years ago, he was a pharmacist at a big national chain. That, that was his job. And now, and, and I don't say this lately, I mean, he is truly world-class now at podcast editing, video editing, creating websites. Like these are things that would have never been in his world. And the cool thing is you can learn anything. So Farnoosh, you asked about how do you, how do you raise that income side? learn new skills. I mean, you can quite literally learn anything with the combination of YouTube and Google, right? <laughs> and Linda, I just yeah, right. <laughs> Linda.com. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. 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 But I mean, that is a really <laughs> hopeful place to be in, in 2019. I mean, that is really remarkable. And Jonathan is the case in point of mm-hmm. how you can learn dozens upon dozens of skills that are marketable. Obviously we're doing our own thing here with Chooseify, but if this ever ended, he has marketable skills that he would earn in my estimation, multiples of, of what he was making as a pharmacist. Jonathan, what a nice co-host you have there in Brad. I'm giving him a pat on the back right now, buddy. We should do more interviews together. This is great. It's no wonder your show is such a success. I think it's hard to find, you know, a co-host that that works. I've known a lot of podcast duos that have broken up and um, your show has over 2,000 reviews and you just launched, you know, it seems like yesterday. So congrats to you both on the success of, now, is it Choose Fi or Choose Fi or are they interchangeable? I believe I always say choose FI. Choose FI. I think they're fairly interchangeable, but yeah, we both say choose FI. Choose FI. Everybody go subscribe. I look forward to being on your show uh, later this year. Thanks for the invite. And again, thanks so much for all these insights, for uh, the great work that you're putting out there, the lives that you are changing and wishing you both continued success. We cannot wait to have you on the show, Farnoosh. Really looking forward to it. And thank you so much. We're excited to be here. Thanks to Jonathan and Brad for joining us. Their podcast, again, is called Choose FI. You can also visit their website at choosefi.com and their Facebook group at Choose FI. By the way, if you'd like to leave a review for this show, I'm starting a new thing around here, which is, uh, well, it's not really new. It's going back to the early days of rewarding people who leave reviews with a 15-minute money session with me. So every week, I'm going to pull a review from the show, a recent review. And if you're listening, 
listening, hopefully you are, you'll hear your name and get the directions for getting in touch to get in touch with me for a 15-minute money jam session, one-on-one. And by the way, this doesn't have to be a positive review. You can leave a constructive review. I'm open to all feedback. Although, you know, I love the five-star reviews. Uh, But, you know, I want to make this democratic and everyone has a chance to get a one-on-one with me. So just putting that out there. Let me know when you do leave a review. You can reach me on Instagram by direct messaging me there or email me, farnoosh at farnoosh.tv. All right. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And I hope your day is so money. Money.